Section nine of the Great Events, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume One, edited by Charles F. Horn, Rossiter Johnson, and John Rudd the formation of the castes in india b c twelve hundred by w w hunter at a very early period we catch sight of a nobler race from the northwest forcing its way in among the primitive peoples of india this race belonged to the splendid aryan or indo-germanic stock from which the brahmin the rajput and the englishmen alike descend its earliest home seems to have been in western asia from that common camping-ground certain branches of the race started for the east others for the farther west one of the western offshoots built athens and sparta and became the greek nation another went on to italy and reared the city on the seven hills which grew into imperial rome a distant colony of the same race excavated the silver ores of prehistoric spain and when we first catch a sight of ancient england we see an aryan settlement fishing in wattle canoes and working the tin mines of cornwall meanwhile other branches of the aryan stock had gone forth from the primitive asiatic home to the east powerful bands found their way through the passes of the himalayas into the punjab and spread themselves chiefly as brahmins and rajputs over india the aryan offshoots alike to the east and to the west asserted their superiority over the earlier peoples whom they found in possession of the soil the history of ancient europe is the story of the aryan settlements around the shores of the mediterranean and that wide term modern civilization merely means the civilization of the western branches of the same race the history of india consists in like manner of the history of the eastern offshoots of the aryan stock who settled in that land we know little regarding these noble aryan tribes in their early camping ground in western asia from words preserved in the languages of their long separated descendants in europe and india scholars infer that they roamed over the grassy steppes with their cattle making long halts to raise crops of grain they had tamed most of the domestic animals were acquainted with iron understood the arts of weaving and sewing wore clothes and ate cooked food they lived the hardy life of the comparatively temperate zone and the feeling of cold seems to be one of the earliest common remembrances of the eastern and the western branches of the race the forefathers of the greek and the roman of the english and the hindu dwelt together in western asia spoke the same tongue worshipped the same gods the languages of europe and india although at first sight they seem wide apart are merely different growths from the original aryan speech this is especially true of the common words of family life the names for father 
mother brother sister and widow are the same in most of the aryan languages whether spoken on the banks of the ganges of the tiber or of the thames thus the word daughter which occurs in nearly all of them has been derived from the aryan root du which in sanskrit has the form of da to milk and perhaps preserves the memory of the time when the daughter was the little milkmaid in the primitive aryan household the ancient religions of europe and india had a common origin they were to some extent made up of the sacred stories or myths which our joint ancestors had learned while dwelling together in asia several of the vedic gods were also the gods of greece and rome and to this day the divinity is adored by names derived from the same old aryan word deva the shining one by brahmans in calcutta by the protestant clergy of england and the roman catholic priests in peru the vedic hymns exhibit the indian branch of the aryans on their march to the southeast and in their new homes the earliest songs disclose the race still to the north of the khyber pass in kabul the later ones bring them as far as the ganges their victorious advance eastward through the intermediate tract can be traced in the vedic writings almost step by step the steady supply of water among the five rivers of the punjab led the aryans to settle down from their old state of wandering half-pastoral tribes into regular communities of husbandmen the vedic poets praised the rivers which enabled them to make this great change perhaps the most important step in the progress of a race may the indus they sang the far-famed giver of wealth hear us fertilizing our broad fields with water the himalayas through whose southwestern passes they had reached india and at whose southern base they long dwelt made a lasting impression on their memory the vedic singer praised him whose greatness the snowy ranges and the sea and the aerial river declare the aryan race in india never forgot its northern home there dwelt its gods and holy singers and there eloquence descended from heaven among men while high amid the himalayan mountains lay the paradise of deities and heroes where the kind and the brave forever repose the rig veda forms the great literary memorial of the early aryan settlements in the punjab the age of this venerable hymnal is unknown orthodox hindus believe without evidence that it existed from before all time or at least from three thousand one years b c european scholars have inferred from astronomical data that its composition was going on about fourteen hundred b c but the evidence might have been calculated backward and inserted later in the veda we only know that the vedic religion had been at work long before the rise of buddhism in the sixth century b c the rig veda is a very old collection of one thousand seventeen short poems chiefly addressed to the gods and containing ten thousand five hundred eighty verses its hymns show us the aryans on the banks of the indus divided into various tribes 
sometimes at war with each other sometimes united against the black-skinned aborigines caste in its later sense is unknown each father of a family is the priest of his own household the chieftain acts as father and priest to the tribe but at the greater festivals he chooses some one specially learned in holy offerings to conduct the sacrifice in the name of the people the king himself seems to have been elected and his title of vispat literally lord of the settlers survives in the old persian vispati and as the lithuanian wisepatis in eastern central europe at this day women enjoyed a high position and some of the most beautiful hymns were composed by ladies and queens marriage was held sacred husband and wife were both rulers of the house dampati and drew near to the gods together in prayer the burning of widows on their husband's funeral pile was unknown and the verses in the veda which the brahmans afterwards distorted into a sanction for the practice have the very opposite meaning rise woman says the vedic text to the mourner come to the world of life come to us thou hast fulfilled thy duties as a wife to thy husband the aryan tribes in the veda have blacksmiths coppersmiths and goldsmiths among them besides carpenters barbers and other artisans they fight from chariots and freely use the horse although not yet the elephant in war they have settled down as husbandmen till their fields with the plough and live in villages or towns but they also cling to their old wandering life with their herds and cattle pens cattle indeed still form their chief wealth the coin in which payment of fines is made reminding us of the latin word for money pecunia from pecus a herd one of the vedic words for war literally means a desire for cows unlike the modern hindus the aryans of the veda ate beef used a fermented liquor or beer made from the soma plant and offered the same strong meat and drink to their gods thus the stout aryans spread eastward through northern india pushed on from behind by later arrivals of their own stock and driving before them or reducing to bondage the earlier black-skinned races they marched in whole communities from one river valley to another each house-father a warrior husbandman and priest with his wife and his little ones and his cattle these free-hearted tribes had a great trust in themselves and their gods like other conquering races they believed that both themselves and their deities were altogether superior to the people of the land and to their poor rude objects of worship indeed this noble self-confidence is a great aid to the success of a nation their divinities devas literally the shining ones from the sanskrit root div to shine were the great powers of nature they adored the father heaven dayush pitar in sanskrit the dias peter or jupiter of rome the zeus of greece and the encompassing sky varuna in sanskrit uranus in latin oranos in greek indra or the aqueous vapor that brings the precious rain on which plenty or famine still depends each autumn 
received the largest number of hymns by degrees as the settlers realized more and more keenly the importance of the periodical rains to their new life as husbandmen he became the chief of the vedic gods the gods do not reach unto thee o indra nor men thou overcomest all creatures in strength agni the god of fire latin ignis ranks perhaps next to indra in the number of hymns addressed to him he is the youngest of the gods the lord and giver of wealth the maruts are the storm gods who make the rock to tremble who tear in pieces the forest Ushas, the high-born dawn greek eos shines upon us like a young wife rousing every living being to go forth to his work the asphans the horsemen or fleet outriders of the dawn are the first rays of sunrise lords of lustre the solar orb himself surya the wind vayu the sunshine or friendly day mitra the intoxicating fermented juice of the sacrificial plant soma and many other deities are invoked in the veda in all about thirty-three gods who are eleven in heaven eleven on earth and eleven dwelling in glory in mid-air the aryan settler lived on excellent terms with his bright gods he asked for protection with an assured conviction that it would be granted at the same time he was deeply stirred by the glory and mystery of the earth and the heavens indeed the majesty of nature so filled his mind that when he praises any one of his shining gods he can think of none other for the time being and adores him as the supreme ruler verses may be quoted declaring each of the greater deities to be the one supreme neither gods nor men reach unto thee o indra another hymn speaks of soma as king of heaven and earth the conqueror of all to varuna also it is said thou art lord of all of heaven and earth thou art king of all those who are gods and of all those who are men the more spiritual of the vedic singers therefore may be said to have worshipped one god though not one alone in the beginning there arose the golden child he was the one born lord of all that is he established the earth and this sky who is the god to whom we shall offer our sacrifice he who gives life he who gives strength whose command all the bright gods revere whose shadow is immortality whose shadow is death who is the god to whom we shall offer our sacrifice he who through his power is the one king of the breathing and awakening world he who governs all man and beast who is the god to whom we shall offer our sacrifice he through whom the sky is bright and the earth firm he through whom the heaven was established nay the highest heaven he who measured out the light and the air who is the god to whom we shall offer our sacrifice he who by his might looked even over the water-clouds he who alone is god above all gods who is the god to whom we shall offer our sacrifice while the aboriginal races buried their dead in the earth 
or under rude stone monuments the arian alike in india in greece and in italy made use of the funeral pile several exquisite sanskrit hymns bid farewell to the dead depart thou depart thou by the ancient paths to the place whither our fathers have departed meet with the ancient ones meet with the lord of death throwing off thine imperfections go to thy home become united with a body clothe thyself in a shining form let him depart to those for whom flow the rivers of nectar let him depart to those who through meditation have obtained the victory who by fixing their thoughts on the unseen have gone to heaven let him depart to the mighty in battle to the heroes who have laid down their lives for others to those who have bestowed their goods on the poor the doctrine of transmigration was at first unknown the circle round the funeral pile sang with a firm assurance that their friend went direct to a state of blessedness and reunion with the loved ones who had gone before do thou conduct us to heaven says a hymn of the later atharvaveda let us be with our wives and children in heaven where our friends dwell in bliss having left behind the infirmities of the body free from lameness free from crookedness of limb there let us behold our parents and our children may the water-shedding spirits bear thee upward cooling thee with their swift motion through the air and sprinkling thee with dew bear him carry him let him with all his faculties complete go to the world of the righteous crossing the dark valley which spreadeth boundless around him let the unborn soul ascend to heaven wash the feet of him who is stained with sin let him go upward with cleansed feet crossing the gloom gazing with wonder in many directions let the unborn soul go up to heaven by degrees the old collection of hymns or the rigveda no longer sufficed three other collections or service books were therefore added making the four vedas the word veda is from the same root as the latin vedera to see the early greek fide ine infinitive of oida i know and the english wisdom or i wit the brahmins taught that the veda was divinely inspired and that it was literally the wisdom of god there was first the rigveda or the hymns in their simplest form second the samaveda made up hymns of the rigveda to be used at the soma sacrifice third the yajurveda consisting not only of rigvedic hymns but also of prose sentences to be used at the great sacrifices and divided into two editions the black and white yajur the fourth or atharvaveda was compiled from the least ancient hymns at the end of the rigveda very old religious spells and later sources some of its spells have a similarity to the ancient german and lithuanian charms and appear to have come down from the most primitive times before the indian and european branches of the aryan race struck out from their common home to each of the four vedas were attached prose works called brahmanas in order to explain the sacrifices and the duties of the priests 
like the four vedas the brahmanas were held to be the very word of god the vedas and the brahmanas formed the revealed scriptures of the hindus the sruti literally things heard from god the vedas supplied their divinely inspired psalms and the brahmanas their divinely inspired theology or body of doctrine to them were afterward added the sutras literally strings of pithy sentences regarding laws and ceremonies still later the upanishads were composed treating of god and the soul the aranyakas or tracts for the forest recluse and after a very long interval the puranas or traditions from of old all these ranked however not as divinely inspired knowledge or things heard from god sruti like the vedas and brahmanas but only as sacred traditions smriti literally the things remembered meanwhile the four castes had been formed in the old aryan colonies among the five rivers of the punjab each housefather was a husbandman warrior and priest but by degrees certain gifted families who composed the vedic hymns or learned them off by heart were always chosen by the king to perform the great sacrifices in this way probably the priestly caste sprang up as the aryans conquered more territory fortunate soldiers received a larger share of the lands than others and cultivated it not with their own hands but by means of the vanquished non-aryan tribes in this way the four castes arose first the priests or brahmins second the warriors or fighting companions of the king called rajputs or chatrias literally of the royal stock third the aryan agricultural settlers who kept the old name of vasius from the root vis which in the primitive vedic period had included the whole aryan people fourth the sudras or conquered non-aryan tribes who became serfs the three first castes were of aryan descent and were honored by the name of the twice-born castes they could all be present at the sacrifices and they worshipped the same bright gods the sudras were the slave bands of black descent of the veda they were distinguished from their twice-born aryan conquerors as being only once-born and by many contemptuous epithets they were not allowed to be present at the great national sacrifices or at the feasts which followed them they could never rise out of their servile condition and to them was assigned the severest toil in the fields and all the hard and dirty work of the village community the brahmins or priests claimed the highest rank but they seemed to have had a long struggle with the chatrias or warrior caste before they won their proud position at the head of the indian people they afterward secured themselves in that position by teaching that it had been given to them by god at the beginning of the world they said the brahmin proceeded from the mouth of the creator the chatrias or rajput from his arms the phasia from his thighs or belly and the sudra from his feet this legend is true so far that the brahmins were really the brain power of the indian people the chatrias its armed hands 
the vasias the food growers and the sudras the downtrodden serfs when the brahmins had established their power they made a wise use of it from the ancient vedic times they recognized that if they were to exercise spiritual supremacy they must renounce earthly pomp in arrogating the priestly function they gave up all claim to the royal office they were divinely appointed to be the guides of nations and the counsellors of kings but they could not be kings themselves as the duty of the sudra was to serve of the vasya to till the ground and follow middle-class trades or crafts so the business of the chatriyas was to fight the public enemy and of the brahmin to propitiate the national gods each day brought to the brahmins its routine of ceremonies studies and duties their whole life was mapped out into four clearly defined stages of discipline for their existence in its full religious significance commenced not at birth but on being invested at the close of childhood with the sacred thread of the twice-born their youth and early manhood were to be entirely spent in learning the veda by heart from an older brahmin tending the sacred fire and serving their preceptor having completed his long studies the young brahmin entered on the second stage of his life as a householder he married and commenced a course of family duties when he had reared a family and gained a practical knowledge of the world he retired into the forest as a recluse for the third period of his life feeding on roots or fruits practicing his religious duties with increased devotion the fourth stage was that of the ascetic or religious mendicant wholly withdrawn from earthly affairs and striving to attain a condition of mind which heedless of the joys or pains or wants of the body is intent only on its final absorption into the deity the brahman in this fourth stage of his life ate nothing but what was given to him unasked and abode not more than one day in any village lest the vanities of the world should find entrance into his heart this was the ideal life prescribed for a brahman and ancient indian literature shows that it was to a large extent practically carried out throughout his whole existence the true brahman practised a strict temperance drinking no wine using a simple diet curbing the desires shut off from the tumults of war as his business was to pray not to fight and having his thoughts ever fixed on study and contemplation what is this world says a brahmin sage it is even as the bough of a tree on which a bird rests for a night and in the morning flies away the brahmins therefore were a body of men who in an early stage of this world's history bound themselves by a rule of life the essential precepts of which were self-culture and self-restraint the brahmins of the present india are the result of three thousand years of hereditary education and temperance and they have evolved a type of mankind quite distinct from the surrounding population even the passing traveller in india marks them out alike from the bronze-cheeked large-limbed 
leisure-loving rajput or chatrias the warrior caste of aryan descent and from the dark-skinned flat-nosed thick-lipped low castes of non-aryan origin with their short bodies and bullet heads the brahmin stands apart from both tall and slim with finely mottled lips and nose fair complexion high forehead and slightly coconut-shaped skull the man of self-centred refinement he is an example of a class becoming the ruling power in a country not by force of arms but by the vigour of hereditary culture and temperance one race has swept across india after another dynasties have risen and fallen religions have spread themselves over the land and disappeared but since the dawn of history the brahmin has calmly ruled swaying the minds and receiving the homage of the people and accepted by foreign nations as the highest type of indian mankind the position which the brahmins won resulted in no small measure from the benefits which they bestowed for their own aryan countrymen they developed a noble language and literature the brahmins were not only the priests and philosophers but also the lawgivers the men of science and the poets of their race their influence on the aboriginal peoples the hill and forest races of india was even more important to these rude remnants of the flint and stone ages they brought in ancient times a knowledge of the metals and the gods as a social league hinduism arranged the people into the old division of the twice-born aryan castes namely the brahmins chatrias vasius and the once-born castes consisting of the non-aryan sudras and the classes of mixed descent this arrangement of the indian races remains to the present day the twice-born castes still wear the sacred thread and claim a joint although an unequal inheritance in the holy books of the veda the once-born castes are still denied the sacred thread and they are not allowed to study the holy books until the english set up schools in india for all classes of the people but while caste is thus founded on the distinctions of race it has been influenced by two other systems of division namely the employments of the people and the localities in which they live even in the oldest times the castes had separate occupations assigned to them they could be divided either into brahmins chatrias vasius and sudras or into priests warriors husbandmen and serfs they are also divided according to the parts of india in which they live even the brahmins have among themselves ten distinct classes or rather nations five of these classes or brahmin nations live to the north of the vindhya mountains five of them live to the south each of the ten feels itself to be quite apart from the rest and they have among themselves no fewer than one thousand eight hundred eighty six subdivisions or separate brahmanical tribes in like manner the chatrias or rajputs number five hundred ninety separate tribes in different parts of india 
while therefore indian caste seems at first a very simple arrangement of the people into four classes it is in reality a very complex one for it rests upon three distinct systems of division namely upon race occupation and geographical position it is very difficult even to guess at the number of the indian castes but there are not fewer than three thousand of them which have separate names and which regard themselves as separate classes the different castes cannot intermarry with each other and most of them cannot eat together the ordinary rule is that no hindu of good caste can touch food cooked by a man of inferior caste by rights too each caste should keep to its own occupation indeed there has been a tendency to erect every separate kind of employment or handicraft in each separate province into a distinct caste but as a matter of practice the castes often change their occupation and the lower ones sometimes raise themselves in the social scale thus the vasya caste were in ancient times the tillers of the soil they have in most provinces given up this toilsome occupation and the vasyas are now the great merchants and bankers of india their fair skins intelligent faces and polite bearing must have altered since the days when their forefathers ploughed sowed and reaped under the hot sun such changes of employment still occur on a smaller scale throughout india the system of caste exercises a great influence upon the industries of the people each caste is in the first place a trade guild it ensures the proper training of the youth of its own special craft it makes rules for the conduct of the caste trade it promotes good feeling by feasts or social gatherings the famous manufacturers of medieval india its muslins silks cloth of gold inlaid weapons and exquisite work in precious stones were brought to perfection under the care of the castes or trade guilds such guilds may still be found in full work in many parts of india thus in the northwestern districts of bombay all heads of artisan families are ranged under their proper trade guild the trade guild or caste prevents undue competition among the members and upholds the interest of its own body in any dispute arising with other craftsmen in eighteen seventy three for example a number of the bricklayers in ahmadabad could not find work men of this class sometimes added to their daily wages by rising very early in the morning and working overtime but when several families complained that they could not get employment the bricklayers guild met and decided that as there was not enough work for all no member should be allowed to work in extra hours in the same city the cloth dealers in eighteen seventy two tried to cut down the wages of the sizers or men who dressed the cotton cloth the sizers guild refused to work at lower rates and remained six weeks on strike at length they arranged their dispute and both the trade guilds signed a stamped agreement fixing the rates for the future each of the higher castes or trade guilds in ahmadabad receives a fee from young men on entering their business the revenue derived from these fees 
and from fines upon members who break caste rules is spent in feasts to the brethren of the guild and in helping the poorer craftsmen or their orphans a favorite plan of raising money in surat is for the members of the trade to keep a certain day as a holiday and to shut up all their shops except one the right to keep open this one shop is put up to auction and the amount bid is expended on a feast the trade guild or caste allows none of its members to starve it thus acts as a mutual assurance society and takes the place of a poor law in india the severest social penalty which can be inflicted upon a hindu is to be put out of his caste hinduism is however not only a social league resting upon caste it is also a religious alliance based upon worship as the various race elements of the indian people have been welded into caste so the simple old beliefs of the veda the mild doctrines of buddha and the fierce rites of the non-aryan tribes have been thrown into the melting-pot and poured out thence as a mixture of precious metal and dross to be worked up into the complex worship of the hindu gods End of section nine